Hey everyone, welcome back to another Book More show. It's Stuart Bell here, and today excited to be joined by another one of our friends of the show. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Excited. Fantastic. So it's always funny when I speak to people because I always see the books going through the system, but I don't always get a chance to speak to people beforehand. So I kind of know people from the perspective of what they've written about, not necessarily their bigger background. And obviously the audience is is meeting you for the first time. So why don't we start with a little bit of background about you and the organization. You're down in Mississippi, right? I am. Yes, we're in Biloxi, so we're here on the Gulf Coast. We're actually about to have Cruise in the Coast happen here, which is the world's largest antique car show that we host every year here in Biloxi. But I am Heidi Artis. I am the founder and CEO of Agape Wealth, which is really a faith-based financial firm. It was developed over, you know, a long period of time with my faith and my family. I've been a financial advisor since 2006 and really over the last four years have focused specifically on income distribution and retirement planning uh, for people who are headed into retirement or just wanting to make sure that they're on the right track to get there. So the book, you know, Simplified Strategies for Retirees was written for that reason to help uh, people you know, have a little book because I know a lot of people don't actually like to sit down and read long big <laughs> books anymore. But really something just simple where people can refer back to it, look at it. And it's written in, you know, plain English, because sometimes in the financial world or any professional industry, we like to get overcomplicated with things. So that really was the the mindset behind the book is to help people uh, focus on what are some good strategies? What am I looking for? And how do I get there? And so that was really the reason for the company being founded as well. And that tying in with the the methodology and your approach when people actually meet you in person or or on Zoom these days and actually right. have that real conversation, the tie in between the book that they've read that started the conversation and what you're then saying to them, it really makes a difference as opposed to the typical corporate jargon-based information that's out there there's no real connection and i think what you guys provide to people is not only the nuts and bolts of the technical solutions but it's really the rounded more holistic approach to building the relationship over time and helping them was that part and parcel of the idea of bringing it together in a book this idea of kind of seeding the conversation knowing that you were eventually going to speak to people in this way Yeah, I mean, and I'm actually in the process of writing another article right now for Kiplinger Magazine about having a purposeful retirement, because retirement isn't just about your money. You know, we work and work, and then we get to retirement. And a lot of people, especially in the current generation of the baby boomers who are retiring, their parents came from the generation that grew up during depression, post-depression. And so they had this mindset, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so now they get to this point where, okay, well, I'm not going to work anymore. So what am I? Who am I? And so our goal here at Agape Wealth is to sit down with you and say, okay, the money is one thing and and we're going to get to that, obviously. But what do you want? Well, who do you want to be? What do you want to develop? Your retirement years should be the best years of your life. So let's drive that. Let's figure out what our goals are, what our dreams are. You know, do you want to? pick up a new hobby. You know, do you want to be somebody who volunteers? Do you want to be a part of a church? Do you, what do you want to do that's going to bring that purpose back to your life? Because you're not just an employee. And that's what we look at 
our whole life is, okay, well, I go to work, I take care of my kids, I do all of this stuff I have to do. Now I get to the point where I don't have to do those things. Now what? So so that was really the purpose behind the book too, is, hey, let's get to that point where we can have a purposeful, meaningful, simplified plan that puts you where you want to be. Because as you say, so much of the technical nuts and bolts is achievable. It's your individual approach to retirement planning is obviously going to be tailored for each person. But there's only right. so many tools in the toolkit that you're pulling from. But to really dial that into the lifestyle that they want and not just sell products that have an outcome, but that outcome is matched to what they want to do. It's funny, isn't it? It's kind of when you're in work engage, you meet someone for the first time and one of the first questions is, what do you do? People's whole presence is so attributed to their career and the work side of their business that having all of this free time all of a sudden, it can be quite, I imagine it can be quite overwhelming. But yeah, it's definitely overwhelming. Well, with social media and with our jobs, we get disconnected from human interaction. And I think retirement is that time where we can get back to being interconnected, you know, with our community and with each other in a way that's not just based on the day-to-day grind of life. It's based on what you really want from, you know, from the last 30 years of your life. What do you want to do? Without the constraints, you kind of got an open canvas. Um, Yep. You mentioned the faith-based element of the work that you do and the the clients that you service. Is that intentionally a large part of the audience or is it uh, coincidentally a large part of the audience? Not necessarily. I think that's more a personal thing. You know, we don't seek out just faith-based clients. I think it's more for people to know that everything that I do is purposefully driven inside from my face. So, you know, I want my outward being to reflect the inside. So the company's name is the Greek word for love and how we are supposed to sacrificially love our fellow man the way that God loves us. And so it's really more personal in terms of, you know, there's no judgment on our side for who you are who you want to become, it's my job to reflect that I'm going to love and put good into the world regardless of, you know, what's going on externally. It's interesting. I asked because I was working with another client just last week. So it's obviously top of my mind. We were looking at their businesses is similar, but they probably focus a little bit more on the church side of things. Almost coincidentally, it's obviously very important to them and there's only so many hours in the week and their week is filled with working with those clients. So that's just coincidentally the direction it was going. Uh, so I always think in terms of addressability of the market or the the language that you use when you're talking to people. So it's something that I always pick up on because it's not part of my background. I think the it, it's not reflected in the same way in the UK as it is in the US. Uh, so right. since it's been across here, it just it stands out a little bit more. But this idea of talking in the language that the audience resonates with, the people who you want to work with resonates with. And as you say, with no judgment or bias against the people who use different language, but it's still a very, a very fulfilling, I'm not sure if that's quite the right word, but it's a very fulfilling way to talk about it because there's a commonality and of approach or direction or there are only so many hours in the week. And if you happen to work with those people that resonate more, all the better. Well, I think for me, I actually like working with people who feel differently just because of the fact that 
there's a lot in terms of religion, I guess, that it has a lot of negativity associated with it. And, and because of that, you know, we created a company to show that's not how it's really supposed to be. Because right. if you are a follower of Christ, Christ didn't discriminate. And so we want people to feel welcome, no matter who you are, who your background yeah. is. We do actually work with some churches. One of our give backs is that we help mission, global missionaries around the world to have financial advice that sound and we do it at a pretty significant reduction in cost for them just because they're, you know, traveling into remote areas of the world. And most of the time they don't have a lot of money. And so good financial advisors don't necessarily have the time or want to work with them because it's not really making them much money. So our give back is really working with global missionaries to help them get sound financial advice. But Our main focus is really just working with retirees. Now, you do have to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) I don't necessarily want to work with people who are rude and obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, you know, we don't really uh, preface who who can or cannot be a part of. You need to be nice should be a rule on everyone's front door. That's uh, (laughs) kind of both the front door to the business coming in and their front door going out. It's uh, definitely like that's the beauty of owning your own company, right? You get to be selective in who you work with. So and that's the thing too for a retiree or somebody who is to find a financial advisor, you know, if you don't fit with somebody just because they're smart, that is not a really good reason to choose them. Right. The yeah. that um that idea that you have a broad choice of who you want to work with and yeah. picking the people who either resonate because they've got same they're going in the same direction or it's just something yeah. that you resonate with more. It's uh life will be very long and maybe you wouldn't make it to retirement if everything was a fight and a struggle all the way through. Um, right. The point you made about uh the missionary work that's an interesting element as well because there's my wife's a kindergarten teacher so we've uh, we are on our second marriage kind of reconnected later in life but as a kindergarten teacher it's not the most financially rewarding of careers very rewarding in other ways but not financially and i imagine the missionaries in the same position is oftentimes you think that in order to to plan for retirement, you need a certain amount of disposable income to be able to get to that point where I think in the long arc of, of someone's career, if you start earlier, even if it's a very small amount, that just sets you up for more success in the future. So across the clients that you work with, maybe not just necessarily the missionary people, do you find that the people are almost reluctant to get involved in a conversation because they think they assume that they've got no options and choices so kind of bury their heads in the sand where actually if they did something they might have a better outcome yeah it's really about the due diligence of just starting and i do think that people who have lower income levels feel defeated before they even get started and so learning to live within one's means regardless of what those means are is the key and paying yourself first Obviously, you know, if it comes to buying the new TV or having to put money away for, you know, your future, maybe the TV can wait. Um, But we've been conditioned to want everything right now and not looking towards saving up for the future. But I don't think that it matters how much money you make. It's more about percentages and what we're doing to get to the end goal. Because I mean, if you're making, if you're a missionary and you're living on the lower income, or if you're a teacher and you're living on those means, well, you can retire based on that and still have the same lifestyle. 
Right. Actually, that's a great point, isn't it? I think it's the same. I was talking to the podcast that will come out, the one before this, was talking to Mike, who's a podcast producer, and was talking about who he gets to work with and the assumption from people having podcasts is they compare themselves to NPR shows or Joe Rogan. And if there aren't 100,000 <laughs> downloads, then it's not worth doing, which is obviously a ridiculous end of the spectrum. But with the social media element of people seeing the extremes of, of success, I think people get overly disheartened and forget that if they're trying to replicate what they're on now, then that's not a million dollar retirement. That's... 100,000 maybe or 50,000 or or still something that isn't zero. Right. Well, I mean, that's a societal and cultural problem in the West period to go to cultural extremes and focus on those instead of really what we should be focusing on, which is the middle, you know, the middle area in the middle of the road, you know, kind of like an argument. There's two sides to every story and there's a truth somewhere, but it's usually not on anyone's side. So I think that the same thing goes for money or any other aspect of life. It's, you know, focus on what you want and where you want to go and you need to set a goal. And most of the time when we set goals, we actually achieve them much faster um, then we set, so we say we got a five-year goal and at two years, you've already hit your five-year goal and now we're moving on. And so it's really just setting a goal and, and headed, you know, if you get in a car and you don't turn on your GPS and you just drive, well, we don't know where we're going to land in the destination. But if you do put it, you have a destination and you're going to get there. Right. It really is the case that people underestimate the long-term and overestimate the short-term and get disheartened Correct. so much quicker than I think people did in the past. The people that you work with, are they mainly in the local area or do you have a a statewide footprint or a national footprint? Yeah, so I work, I mean, the bulk of my clients are probably in Mississippi. However, I do have clients in several states now just because with me working with internet and internationally with missionaries and things like that, we have clients in Ohio and Florida and Texas and you know, probably seven or eight different states, but that's always growing because, you know, once one person, especially if you're in the church world, you know, they travel around a lot. So people uh, refer to other places, but, and we have a lot of military where we're at, where I live in Biloxi, there's three different military bases here. So, you know, clients sign up here, but then they move to other locations. So, We do a lot of Zoom meetings. Right. Well, and that's something that, again, has changed in the last couple of years that just broadens the footprint so much. It just removes the barrier to, in the past, someone would have moved and then automatically thought they would need to change the people that they work with just because it's impractical. But now it's much, much more straightforward. The idea that people move and once you're their go-to person, you can now stay their go-to person or, or wherever they are, are physically. Across the board, I'm always interested in people's experience of referrals within the business and how kind of orchestrated they are or whether they coincidentally come up. The people who you work with, do you get the feeling that they they regularly remember to refer you or is it kind of after the fact and thinking, oh, I was talking to Bob last week and I, I should have mentioned it and I forgot? So I think um, both are true. However, I, I would say my clients, because I do a very personalized approach with them, are more likely to refer. I mean, they call me and text me and they're telling me, hey, I was just sitting down with a friend of mine and, you know, told them how 
excited I am about the plan that you put together. So, you know, I'm going to send them your way. Uh, and that happens a lot without me even asking. But I think if, you know, you're in the corporate world working in that, you know, big box firm and you're looking for referrals, it's not necessarily as organic just because I can't, I mean, I've worked in that world and it's harder because you have to ask for a referral based on a plan that's put together in in a box. It's this cookie cutter. Well, you're 35 and you have this much money and you are aggressive. So you fit in X and thank God I don't have to do that any longer, but (laughs) spreadsheets isn't as having a conversation with people for real. Yeah. I mean, my clients know my children, they know my husband, they get to meet my family. I want to meet their families because retirement isn't, or even any kind of financial planning. I mean, one of my biggest clients is 35. She has three daughters. So I say to them, you know, let's get to know each other on a personal level, because if all I know about you is what you tell me about how you live, then it's not necessarily the same as interacting with you on a personal level. And so we want to be able to do that for people. And that's more building a family type office instead of just let's run people through here like Walmart to generate as much revenue as possible, because If that's your goal, I mean, that's fine, but that's just not necessarily what I'm looking for my clients. Yeah, a different service. And your ability to interact and understand them, you know them as much as they know you. It really makes a difference to have a call with someone who you know and have something of a relationship with rather than just an account number who's dialing into a a call center. Um, And inevitably, you know, in the industry that we work in, somebody is going to pass away and we want to be able to make sure that their family knows that we knew them and that we are enacting their wishes um, and not just a beneficiary on a page. And here you go, here's the money. Um, We want to sit down and have a true one-on-one real conversation with families um, in those hard times and say, this is what your parents, or this is what, you know, your grandma or whomever said they wanted for you. And that just means more to the person whenever those times come about too. And it's a connection that not many other people have. I mean, the type of conversations that you're having with people about their legacy and what they want are very open and candid and are there to be had. It's not like it was a sad conversation that popped up when they were talking to a family member. You're talking right. to them specifically about the outcome. So I guess that must offer some clarity to the family members who are left behind. There's no ambiguity. You don't have an ulterior motive. You're just there to share the wishes at that time, which again is very- And that's one of the themes in the book too. I think one of the chapters in the book does discuss use, number one, saying no to an advisor or saying no to the person you're working with. You need to get the courage to say, no, that's not what I want. Um, Or- you know, I want to work with somebody else. Um, but there's a lot of different approaches in, in the financial world where you're either in a corporate or maybe you're working with like an Edward Jones type office and there's one advisor and there's one assistant, but they have, you know, 500 clients. So you don't necessarily get personalized service because they have to maintain all of those accounts. Um, or, you know, there's a team of people and you go in to meet in the office and you don't know who you're meeting with. You're just going in and meeting with someone that is available, right? So I created this company to be something different than that. We don't want people to feel like when, if you come in for a meeting, we want you to sit down on the couch, have a cup of coffee. Let's talk. Let's just interact for a little while before we actually go in and get into the conversations of 
you know, what's happening in your monetary life. And yeah, having those deep personal conversations most of the time, we're able to find out more about you than, you know, sometimes you even know about yourself from the questions that we're asking. Right. That's actually a great point. The whole chapter around saying no and being clear on what you want rather than getting swept up just in the conversation, the idea of you being able to ask the questions that from what is it that you want to do in retirement? What is it that you want for your legacy? Who is it that you want to be the beneficiary? And and what is it that you think is, what difference do you want to make in those lives? Those are questions mm-hmm. that particularly, I don't know whether it's an more of an issue with a slightly older generation, but there's definitely people who avoid those conversations because they don't want to talk about death. And right. unless you actually do the job of sitting down and running through it, I can imagine a scenario where no one's ever asked those questions and then things happen and paths go in a completely different direction. That feedback that you get from people, the kind of eye-opening moment of, oh, actually, I see what you're saying. This is what I really mean. Is that an experience that you get often from clients? Yeah, and that usually prompts other things, right? So that will prompt me to say, okay, well, it's probably important if that's specifically what you want, then we need to go meet with the attorney and make sure that we have a will and a trust in place that are going to do those things. But if your main goal is to spend every dollar and, you know, on your deathbed <laughs> to bounce the last check, I mean, right. then we may not necessarily <laughs> need an estate plan, um, but we probably should put something in place, you know, just in case. Just in case. But I mean, and sometimes we have to make those conversations lighthearted because you don't want people to feel downtrodden by the conversation of, you know, we're all going to die someday. So, you know, it's specifically if there's a couple where there's a pretty big age gap um, with the husband or the wife, you know, we do have to have the conversation that, you know, this one, you're probably going to pass away before. So we need to have a plan in place, especially if you have a pension or you're going to lose the social security or there's some income that's going to be lost. We need to make sure that when that happens, that we are prepared for that. So I think it makes them feel better because as married couples, most of the time, we're not talking about that with each other. And we don't want to make our spouse feel uncomfortable. So when I am prompting the conversation, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, we have to be just as good a marriage counselors as we do because 99% of the time, the couples are polar opposite. One is very strong in saving and the other one is a spender. And you have to find the middle road where um, you say, okay, I understand that you are a super saver, but you know, you have enough. Let's have a little bit of enjoyment with what we've done, or you have to rein it back in. And so- Yeah, having that conversation, it it prompts, you know, a lot of dialogue in the meeting. But most of the time, it's not really heavy because I don't necessarily talk about death. I'm just saying, you know, things are going to happen. We need to be prepared for the what ifs. Right. And particularly starting from the point of view, as we started this conversation, talking about, hey, you're entering retirement. This is a time where you're not encumbered by other work responsibilities. So it's the opportunity to do Mm -hmm. what you want to do. Rather yeah. than saying, hey, you're approaching death, so let's get everything lined up and kind of step out the door. It's a, a more focused on the positives and the opportunities rather than the contingency and the what ifs. Yeah, it's a great time to reconnect with your spouse on a more personalized, intimate level in terms of conversation and relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's Lucy, a number of years ago, was a, she was moving to schools and had a period between schools. So she was doing some, or, she's quite organised, if you, you could see my office here, it's, I don't let her in here, but uh, she's much more organised than me. So she was doing some like home organisation type thing, but she said right. she only did it for a month or two and only for people that she knew quite well, because inevitably it would turn into five minutes of organization conversation and five minutes of marriage guidance and therapy around why people were collecting so many things. So I can imagine the conversation around money is even more charged in in that respect. It's probably very similar because the way people live is typically the way they use their money. Right. So it's honestly probably very similar because just like you said, I am much more organized probably than my husband who, you know, has cabinets, stuffed with things, you know, and, and I'm like, let's just throw it away. But um, that, that's typically the, the case in most instances is, you know, one is one way and one is the other, but right. trying to find that balance. Yeah, trying to find balance. Yeah. Let's pivot slightly into the book and the, how we plan on using the book. So we often talk about the books being used in kind of three ways. There's the yeah. lead generation at the top of the funnel, kind of introducing to new people. There's the conversion tool if you like for one of a better term but using it in real life giving it to someone as a kind of a an amplification of a conversation that you've already had and then the referral strategy so the clients you've got who know like and trust you letting them know that this is available so it's a great tool to give to people who they know who are talking about their um, financial planning and and wealth management did you go into projects do you have a particular view on how you're planning on using it was it one of those ways or, or another way So I think the main way I wanted to use it is number one for my clients so that they can, you know, share that with their friends. It's an easy way for them to share um, the ideas that we're using with family members or friends and say, you know, even if you don't want to work with the same person I'm working with, well, she wrote a little bit of a book that can maybe help you guide yourself because some people just want to do it themselves. But also, I think the book helps with, yeah, obviously, lead generation. We'll put it on the website and people can download the book and use that as a tool for them. But main focus was to help show that we can take complex issues and make them simple. And so there will be probably a series of books for different things, you know, for women entrepreneurs, uh, we want to write a book for that. I even want to write a simplified strategies for children so that they can understand how to start saving and investing and giving back and understand the importance of those things as well. So we're going to write a few books, but mainly they're more self-help books for the general public to say, okay, if I'm looking for something then that I don't have to spend you know, five hours or six hours to get through. But, you know, these books are are much smaller, you know, and I can go look at the chapter and say, hey, here's a good section for me to use to help me to generate some knowledge for myself. That's the thing that I like about all of the clients that we work with. This idea that breaking away from the traditional book, the traditional published book constraints of it has to be 200 pages to justify a $15 shelf price because the publisher wants to make $10 and then maybe $2 will trickle down to a person who also is basing their financial income on book sales. Breaking that model completely into this is the start of a conversation and just giving someone that bite-sized valuable way of starting the journey in a in an accessible way we often talk about kind of books that you can read on a flight so i'm home up here is in pennsylvania and the office is down in florida when i used to i drive now but when i used to fly it was a two-hour flight and 
the idea oh. of jumping on and reading something and consuming that and being able to get off the plane knowing that there was a next step to take it makes it so much more accessible and so much more kind of like democratizing the information and sharing that with useful ways i really love the idea of this series that helps each individual group within the overall framework but he helps each individual group just start that journey in the most meaningful way going through the process obviously we're the book's complete now at the end of the process. Going through it, was there anything that you went into it expecting or thinking that was that you wanted to include that eventually didn't get included? This idea of kind of beneficial constraints is always one that I'm kind of harping on to people about the idea of start small and then add later rather than going in with this huge idea of a project and it being overwhelming. So was there anything that you went into it thinking would you definitely want to include that you then pushed for later or decided that it was out of scope? Not necessarily. I think this particular book, we got to put in what we liked in there. However, you know, for compliance purposes, there's things that we can't add or say, Um, you know, you can't really get into too much specifics or details. So, you know, the thing that I can say is, you know, if you're reading the book and you're like, well, tell me exactly how to do that you know, the SEC doesn't necessarily allow us to put that in written form. So, you know, I would say those would be the constraints that would come not necessarily from the writing of the book or the content, but necessarily the compliance side of things. And it's also the idea of sowing the or sharing the seed of the idea and getting the people to get someone to the point that they know why they need to do it and not necessarily how exactly to do it because the how is always case by case and gets yeah. into the the technicalities but at least moving people from the point of i think i should do this to i should definitely be doing this that really is what moves the needle for most people well i think a lot of times people only react when they're scared when they are comfortable or when they just don't know they do nothing and that's most of the time the wrong decision it's when they get extremely uncomfortable and they're in a panic is when they start to react and make decisions and so I hope that the book helps people realize that you know just start calling asking questions it prompts you to write down some questions that you would want to ask and and you interview people that you feel comfortable with and when you finally get to that point where you're like yes this is the person i want to work with then you can get into the in-depth sections of how this is going to work and how it's going to function for you but doing nothing most of the time is the wrong thing or if you have an advisor now and you're just like, well, I don't really know what they do. You know, I get that a lot. People come in here and I'm like, okay, well, tell me what your plan has been. Well, I don't know. That's not a good response. You no, know, you more money. Right. You know, you should know what's going on. Yeah. Rather than hoping that everyone happens to be on the same page and is pulling in the same right. direction. It's, yeah. This has been great. What I really love about the opportunity to get to speak with people is you can see their passion coming out and coming through, which obviously comes through in the pages, but it's it makes a difference having some a real conversation, which again, I guess, is the purpose of the book. The book for you leads to a real conversation with a real person who's consumed something, has decided that you're the the right person to work with because you you resonate and and move forward from there. Yeah. Where can people find out more about the organization? I want to make sure we leave people with some a place where they can go and actually find out more. Yeah, so you can go to agapewealth.com, which is A-G-A-P-E 
www.wealth.com. You can call us at 228-333-5683. You can visit us on Facebook. You just go to Facebook backslash Agape Wealth Biloxi. And that's our Facebook page. And then there's also LinkedIn as well. So we have multiple ways to get in contact with us. All the channels. Well, we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes. So as people are listening, they can just click on the podcast player or if they're watching on the website, we'll link directly through and just highly recommend people go and and grab a copy, even if they're out of their area or if they think they've got someone that they're working with. As you said, it just gives you the questions in there that just prompts more ways of thinking about things, which people might not have come across before. So yeah, well worth grabbing a copy. Yeah, or empowering them to know what questions to ask. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thanks for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Everyone listen, we'll put notes in the we'll put links in the show notes. So definitely follow that for sure. And we'll check back in with you in a few months and see how things are going and look forward to seeing the rest of the series come to fruition as well. Yeah, thanks for uh having me on. And we really uh are excited about the book and look forward to the next ones that we're gonna write. Fantastic. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for everyone watching and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks.